0: A negativity bias means this, something has impacted us in the past that was a threat. Does having a hypervigilant, almost catastrophizing negativity bias impede our ability to know the truth? Can this really affect something like body fat loss, like our pursuits for body comp change? And again, by the time I get done today, you'll see exactly how. This is a unique topic that initially I didn't know if I would find a direct connection to nutrition and fat loss, Uh, but by the time I'm finished, I'm going to show you some actual studies that were done entirely for that reason, but let me give you a little bit of a background first in, in just even what negativity bias is. Some of you may have heard about this Because out of the hundreds of cognitive biases we now have, or or that at least are identified, negativity bias is one of the late comers. It has only started popping up in research maybe 20, 25 years ago. And yet, most people now see it as probably one of the most universal and important biological neurological biases or cognitive biases. Because it is, it is so evolutionarily ingrained in our behavior because it's just perfectly there for survival. A negativity bias means this. Something has impacted us in the past that was a threat. Does having a hyper-vigilant, almost catastrophizing negativity bias impede our ability to know the truth? So here's a here's a line right out of their abstract across various disciplines within scientific psychology and beyond. One commonly accepted and well-documented phenomenon is the so-called negativity bias. This term refers to the general tendency for negative information, events, or stimuli to have greater impact on human cognition, affect. And behavior than comparably positive instances. So, from that evolutionary background I just gave as an introduction, it means our brains are more sensitive. We're not just looking for threat; we're more sensitive to negative things, even negative information, for a reason. And throughout the different psychological disciplines, there have been different hypotheses. And so one of them in the three that were described here is kind of a backdrop Were that negative instances are often more informative. For example, oh my gosh, it's going to rain. That's negative information. I need to whatever, grab an umbrella, cover the tomato plants, or, you know, I mean, like I I need to do something because if if I look at the weather app and it says it's going to be sunny, nothing has to change. That information, that positive information is not very informative. The elaboration of negative instances can increase veracity. So think of this in terms of news, right? The 24-hour news cycle. If it bleeds, it leads. Um, Whatever is negative creates creates that sense of urgency. So that tends to be what we talk about. You know, we want to you know, if, if something I had a friend one time do this experiment with me, he took a blank sheet of paper and he put a dot like with an ink pen on it. He says, what do you see? And I said, I see a dot. He said, so you had all of this. You could have said you see a piece of paper. You could have said you see me holding a piece of paper, whatever. But you just see the dot. You see the, you know, quote, negative thing, the one thing that was kind of added so, in the third is more elaboration, deeper processing, and high processing motivation can increase persuasiveness. So, when we hear things negative, kind of like my first example, it tends to put us in action more. So, more of our senses, more of our mental bandwidth is engaged. So, so that's what feeds into, we already have this negativity bias to begin with. Then we have these other aspects that feed into it and, and keep that cycle rolling along. So right off the bat, it would be interesting, maybe when this, you know, later, later today, when we're finished here, if you think, wow, am I a negative person or a positive person? Do I really, do I think of bad things more than I think of good things? If somebody, this is really common, somebody just starts telling you a story and you automatically start thinking of the exceptions. Well, I, yeah, that's true, but, or, you know, here's what else. And we tend to even interrupt otherwise good stories, good information with something kind of negative. Um, so as I was thinking about these things this week, as, uh, Tyler Weeb and I did a Mind Muscle Connection podcast and other podcasts that, that I do. And in For our hardcore training clients and and audience, you know, people engaged in physique, sport and athletics and just just living their best, healthiest lives, we were talking about this and it just made me wonder besides our, our own behavior and happiness and well-being, you know, can this really affect something like body fat loss, like our pursuits for body comp change? And again, by the time I get done today, you know, you'll see exactly how. But all of those hypotheses I just described point to the fact, again, that the brain actively purges useful information, or I should, I should, should have actually said useless, um, and it prioritizes and, and retains helpful information. So what I mean by, or that I did say that, I did write that right. I'm sorry, purges less useful information. So again, if something happens and it's quite normal, your brain really wants to forget that because your brain doesn't want to take a lot of energy and storage space with mundane things that don't matter. So we, we, that's why trauma is trauma. Uh, You know, there's a phenomenal, just, just category defining book by uh, an author who specializes in trauma. And he wrote the book, the body keeps the score. And it's all about trauma, sexual trauma, physical trauma, psychological trauma. Just think of that title. The body keeps the score. Once you've incurred that super high anxiety survival threat mechanism, you just don't forget it. Uh, But, you know, some stupid little trivial fact or something fun like, yeah, that happens, it's great, or mundane, and you move on and you forget it because your brain doesn't need that information. So, survival is at the key. A negativity bias is quite normal, but again, it's not that useful all the time in 21st century lives where we just don't have to be on guard all the time. So the study that I showed you the uh, clip of here at the beginning, uh, they actually wanted to do three different experiments, or I should say they did one experiment through a survey. It's a survey study. And then they thought, you know, we, we had a little flaw or two, could have been misconstrued. So let's redo it like this. And then they thought, well, that was still the same genre better, but let's do something with a little bit different of a topic. Then they decided to include all three of those experiments in this paper because they really confirmed each other. I mean, it was almost like three different studies that showed the exact same thing, even though there, there were some changing variables and all three experiments used completely different subjects. So that was that made this particular study or paper kind of interesting. So the first experiment was with 110 subjects, 84 female, 25 male. They didn't even say like you know age or anything like that. Occupation just just no other information. But here's here's where here's how they wanted to test negativity bias. Half the participants were told that 85% of attempted rapes were successful. And then half of the participants were told that 15% of attempted rapes were unsuccessful. And here's what's interesting. I'll kind of give this away. The reason they decided that this may not have been worded properly. And I had to read this a couple of times. I'm like, wait a second, what exactly is a successful rape? Like that's it's not, it's not exactly the best phrasing. But what they meant was an attempted rape occurred and the woman was actually raped. So that's what that means. So, so the negative frame group were told 85% of attempted rapes are successful. The woman is raped. Uh, the other half of participants were told, hey, 15% of attempted rapes were unsuccessful. You know, that's kind of a positive frame because we're talking about that these women escaped Then they used a four-point scale asking them, do you think this statistic is actually true? And here's here's the thing. The negative framing yielded a 2.9, almost three out of four true rating. The positive framing, those people on a much lower degree said, yeah, I don't think that's true. And again, for whatever reason, like you didn't have to say a reason, you just have to say, I believe this is true, I don't believe this is true. Um, The study limitation, like I said, is the confused, possibly confusing wording. And then since this was a survey, like anybody could be just going to Google and looking it up. And so and you can't really test that. You just you just have to hope that people are being honest. Um, So 2.9 compared to 2.5 statistically doesn't sound that great. But when you plot it out on a graph, you see that that's that's it's about a 10% shift, which, which you could make the argument that's that shows some correlation, not huge. To me, it would say it's kind of close, you know, let's see if we can do that again a different way, which is why they did that. So the second experiment was with um, 30 high school psychology students High school, so 17 years old was the average age. They all happened to be female. And they were told that 70% of rape cases were solved. So we found the bad guy uh, and, and 70, 70%, you know, were solved. Uh, and because that was a high number, which I'm gonna also argue could be confusing. So 70% were solved still means that. You were talking about women being raped. That sounds kind of like negative framing, anyway. But then seventy percent were solved. I'm, not, I would love it to be a hundred percent. So is that really negative framing? But the other half were told that thirty percent of rape cases go unsolved. We never even find the bad guy. So again, that to me. Eh. I'm still not, I'm still not happy about the way they worded this, which again, they weren't either. So I'll tell you about the third time they ran the, the experiment. Either way, with a whole new set of, of subjects and same genre of information or or the topic, but just a different way of stating it, the different statistic, still the negative framing yielded an almost identical result, 3.1 to 2.6. So it seems like when you use the harsher statistic, the larger number, the more, um, I don't want to say fascinating, just dramatic, you know, way of, of articulating something, People seem to believe that it's, quote, scarier. We're talking about threat detection and negativity bias. So once again, it's kind of the same genre, still potential cheating. So then they did one where, if I recall, instead of being a survey, they did a questionnaire in person so they couldn't cheat. Uh, They used a whole other set of subjects, and now they just kind of got off of the you know, violent crime genre. So this time, 33 people, uh, 16 female, 17 male, average age 27, standard deviation of almost 13 years. So you could have all the way down to like teenagers to 40 year olds, pretty wide swath of of subjects. And they they asked this time, half the participants were told that 20% of marriages end in the first 10 years of marriage. So marriages are ending. That's a negative frame half the participants were told that 80% of marriages last 10 years or longer. That's a positive framing. Using a four-point scale again, participants were asked if that stat was true. Guess what? An almost identical result. The negative framing, just because it was stated in a negative way, it tends to pull more people in to say, yeah, I believe that to be true. You give me some bad news and I'm going to buy it give me positive news, not quite as likely to buy it. So once again, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, they were kind of three for three in showing the same thing, but this still wouldn't convince me. If, if this were my field of research, I'd be like, okay, put that in the pile. It, it, it may foreshadow something or it may prove something. I don't know. It's just one study with three experiments, some limitations, we need more data. We need more information. So, you know, again, here's, here's just kind of, kind of a plot of all three. It did show that the negative framing, you know, was definitely um, more compelling to people. So, here's an example that I'm going to do. This is not an experiment, it's just for you to consider this with a topic that's in the news this week, if not every day. 110 people are killed every day in the United States from gun violence. 13,620 gun murders in the year 2020, all, every year, 13,000 people killed with guns, more than one mass shooting every day, more than one school shooting every day. That's a lot of negative shit. I mean, that's, that's negative framing. And politically speaking, if you're trying to reform or you think that guns and gun violence is a problem, you would use statistics like this. You would try to compel people with information like this. But let's, let's look at it another way. You have a greater chance of dying by choking on food than in a mass shooting. True statistic. Your lifetime odd of being assaulted by a gun is one in 315. Dying in a mass shooting versus dying from a bee sting is only five to one. So literally not getting stung by a bee, dying from a bee sting, you only have a five times greater chance of dying in a mass shooting. So if I were trying to defend that side, these positive framing examples are what I would use. And I, I hope you can see that you can, you can kind of be persuasive in one direction or the other, just depending on how you frame that. So now here are some, some of my general applications. And if you guys are really interested in this topic, uh, you could look up on all podcast platforms um, or our channel directly, The Diet Doc on YouTube, uh, the mind-muscle connection. It will be probably posted later today. Tyler Weeb and I did one on negative bias negativity bias, but, and we talked about this a lot, kind of the general application. If I'm a little too good at being negative, if, if I really lean into that bias, I'm probably going to have more anxiety than the average person because I'm always looking for stuff to go wrong. I'm always overemphasizing the negative. Uh, it's going to cost me some attention because my brain is focused on those things. Again, I'm being hypervigilant. I'm being catastrophic and that's probably going to have an opportunity cost in some other positive things I could be doing. It's going to change your worldview. You know, people are horrible or people are innately good. This, you know, group of people even getting into bigotry and so forth. I mean, it really can affect your worldview. Certainly affects your happiness. It can affect your relationships. I, I even one time, true story had kind of a brand new staff member Key internal corporate staff member I recruited from a different city. He came in, and uh, after a few weeks or a couple of months, he's like, "You know what? You're really kind of negative." Like <laughs> that was really shocking to me. I'm like, "Really? I'm negative?" He said, "Yeah. You like you just you tend to kind of focus on negative things." And I guess as a business owner, perhaps even a father of four you tend to be the person who is looking for problems to solve. Like that's what you do. One of my friends who owns a construction company, he showed me his phone and and he said, by the end of the day, I have answered more than a hundred phone calls every day. He said, that's my job. I own a construction company. I have 55 employees, multiple job sites. I'm just getting problems all day. And that's what he does, solves problems. So again, if, if that's all you do, even if you're not trying to, it's going to affect your mood, your happiness, even your motivation, the things that you choose to do uh, can really be impacted. So think of this in kind of three containers. There's that biological truth that we are hardwired and have evolved to perceive threat to survive. That's a great thing. Then you've got today's adaptation of that. We still have that old hard wiring, but do we really need it all day? Can we maybe turn that off a little bit, turn down the volume? Then over here, can we actually just choose to ignore things you know, there are like like about 24,000 kids are going to die of starvation today in the world. If I think of that every day, all day, I can't live my life. Like I just can't. So you have to be able to say, man, I'm going to do something about that, but I can't think about it all day. Um, So you go from hyper threat vigilance to let's consider what I really should worry about, like maybe think I should think skeptically about some things and I should worry about some things. Sometimes I just have to choose when I'm going to spend my time worrying about things. One of our, one of my clients gave a brilliant example this week. We were talking about something completely unrelated. We were talking about just sleep. Like some of my clients, I, I do a, a live support chat like this two other days a week that are only open to our clients and coaches. And we were talking about sleep and, you know, quality of sleep and what that does for your health, your immunity, body fat loss, all that stuff. And this, this client said, you know what, because I've struggled with this, because I've had some anxiety, because I've just, I've had some stints where I wasn't sleeping well, I had to tell my husband like after dinner, sometime in the evening, there's got to be a time where we just stop talking about hard stuff. Like, we're not going to work on our marriage right before bed. We're not going to talk about World War III happening in Ukraine. We're not, you know, like like we just, I got to start winding down or I'm never going to get to sleep. And the reason I think that's so brilliant is we all have to do that at some times. You have to put your phone away and don't touch it. You have to be able to go on a vacation and be okay with work being there when you get back. You don't have to check in every single day. As my client did, you have to have times at night where you say, okay, I'm gonna just do positive things. Uh, there are also some other things that you can physically do. Um, you know, let me, let me get into uh, some of the things that are, you know, maybe a little bit more positive. For a health application, what this means for your absolute health is that if we use negativity to always be comparing or well, comparing to what, oh my gosh, I'm losing strength. Now that I'm 50, I'm not as strong as when I was 30 negative, 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 but maybe you're the health in the healthiest 1% of 50 year olds that's ever lived. And yet instead of enjoying that and using it for positive affirmation, non systemic inflammatory pressure in your body, true psychological and biological uh, harm, you're instead of thinking, you know, the negative stuff, like you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm not as good as I used to be. Also, that relativity very similarly. Well, maybe that's okay right now. I'm recovering from an injury or I'm doing this. And you still choose to have a better attitude. You're focusing on the good things instead of the negative. There's that, you know, the chronology. I'm kind of describing that along the way. Uh, We can become too obsessive if we're focusing on negative things. Uh, I think it's easier as we mature and progress. Like this has to be something that we we really think about a little bit more and get better at. And, And just the understanding that this is important for our true overall well-being. But now let me turn toward a couple examples of what this actually means for health, for body fat loss, for pursuing some really aggressive, strategic body composition changes and, and maybe performative aspects of our health. So this study, remove the negatives or highlight the positives, the effective negativity bias in even food preferences. So since I already kind of dissected one study there just to show you what negativity bias was, I'm only going to give you the kind of the conclusion of these next two studies. their findings. We provide evidence of negative bias in consumers facing the choice between foods with enriched positive ingredients versus foods that are free from negative ingredients. Specifically we find that consumers have a general tendency toward giving negative attributes more weight than positive ones. So here's here's kind of a little joke for you, but it's true. Um, you want to advertise? Don't say, hey, we have organic brown rice. That's positive framing. Say, no GMOs, no insecticides, no pesticides, no this. Because you automatically make people think, oh my gosh, those sound horrible. Maybe this other brand has those. I'm going to buy this one. Because you've negatively framed and therefore you give more credence, more veracity to that. The other side of that coin is, are you actually being duped? Is just slick advertising actually making you fall for that? But that was for food choices. So you could be tricked into less healthy choices just because somebody knows how to market persuasively to you. So that that particular study just kind of shows that even in food selection, negativity bias holds true. And I guarantee you could go to PubMed, Google Scholar, anywhere, and just look for any particular field of human endeavor, and you could you could probably find studies on negativity bias at this point that show how much that does color our behaviors. So now here's another one that's even a little bit closer to home for what we wanted to talk about today. Thinspiration, great word. Um, so being inspired to be thin. So... Positive framing, thin spiration, be be healthy, be be thinner, be be leaner, or fear of fat. Oh my gosh, I don't want to be fat. That's negative framing. Using those prototypes to predict frequent le- weight loss dieting in females. So, as you would expect, I think, hopefully by now, results suggest that frequent weight loss dieting is primarily motivated by a desire to avoid. The unfavorable overfat identity, rather than a desire (positive framing) to acquire the favorable thin identity, the potential consequences for future, blah blah blah. So anyway, again, we tend to lean into the negative, and that's what motivates us. There's another little caveat that I don't want to—I don't want to make you focus on this because that would be the opposite of, I think, a good intention. But here's how this typically goes. And and I I want to emphasize that it's pathological, not helpful. If you think that your own personal self-pressure using negative biasing is a good thing, then you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. Although... I know you could be thinking, well, Joe, you just proved like everything you just said and all the social sciences, biological sciences prove that negativity bias works. It makes us work harder or think more about that. Yes, it makes us obsess more about it. It motivates us more, but it also leads to greater failure because going away from something in fear is not the greatest intrinsically valued um, you know, reaction that, that's going to promote long-term success, sustainable success in us. It's moving toward the positive. So, and this is why it's tough sometimes to succeed. Our biological propensity is to avoid pain, to run from fear. But when we can shift and seek something positive, because we're intrinsically motivated, even if it's taken conditioning and practice and working on self-discipline and, and understanding there's a cost and a sacrifice. If we're willing to push forward towards something more positively, that does increase our chance of success. So the negativity bias that is so prevalent in a, is by far the greater motivator that doesn't motivate us to success. It motivates us to more obsessiveness and more fear, and more negativity, and more time ruminating, and catastrophizing, and focusing on, on negative things. Again, not helpful. So, I just want to make sure that that's very clear. Now, this is how you can really get to this point. And I looked up a lot of places where, okay, we, we've defined the problem. You know, I've just hopefully laid that out in a way that you understand is out there in far greater amounts than just what we're covering here. But what about doing something about it? How can I become more positive, therefore achieve a greater chance of success at everything in life, not just nutrition and body comp, when all of my biology and the natural selection pressures and evolution has hardwired me for the opposite? How do I get to that better place? It absolutely is just a, it, I want to say simple. It, it is simple, but it's difficult. Um, it, it is a conditioning, it's a cognitive behavioral therapy, whether that's through professional assistance or through self guidance and just focusing on it. But there's a mindfulness. Some of the, you know, I, I listened to even a couple of TED Talks in preparing for this this week, and a lot of cognitive psychologists and neuroscientists you know, they they all covered the same ground. They all repeated the phrases, what fires together wires together. And you just have to give your brain the reps, like you would a muscle in a gym and you have to practice and neuroplasticity. You can really change your brain in my mind, muscle connection podcast that I recorded yesterday. I talk about some of my own problems. I've, I've gone to therapists for anxiety I had to, I learned self-hypnosis. I, I, it took me six to nine months, and I learned how to put myself to sleep in three breaths. But it took nightly, nightly practice for six to nine months to do something like that. And it came from, first of all, learning some cognitive behavioral therapy techniques from therapists, reading a bunch of books and so forth, but it took going through a very mindful process. So I'm focusing the parts of my brain. I want to focus on the things I want to focus on. And, and then you learn even things like, like one of the techniques, one neuroscientist talked about, you know, very simply, instead of going through all of that, I didn't mean to make that sound like it's difficult. Um, you know, at the end of the day, just think of the, the, the best thing that happened to you that day. Cause instead you're going to bed, looking at the news, you're scrolling through your phone. This is happening. This is happening. It's awful, awful, awful. Put your phone down. Think of the best thing that happened to you that day. Think of the three people you love the most. You know, I I have a friend who teaches this like he's a he's a life coach, very positive, like a Tony Robbins kind of guy. And, you know, he wakes up every morning. The first thing he does, he grabs his journal and he goes through the gratitude journaling, which you probably heard about. Other people do this. He, he lists the things he's going to do that day. So he's got a positivity, kind of a checklist. Matter of fact, I'm going to interview him pretty soon. He's, he's been on my mind lately. We've been, we've been chatting. Um, you know, he does all these things to frame his day, even be the, be, before his feet hit the ground. He's got his journal on his nightstand. He does these things to already frame his day to go in a more positive direction. For I think it's really important, like I said, to limit negativity. So it's like, wow, after you've watched the news for an hour, just shut it off, you know, maybe 15 minutes, get the headlines, you know what's happening in the world, and then put it away, do something fun. Um, understand that even how this works physiologically, how our brains are filtering threat, and may, maybe I am feeling kind of anxious. Why am I feeling anxious? Oh, I get it. I this, this happened in the world today. Of course, everybody's feeling anxious. Talk yourself through that. Just understanding it in a level of self-awareness can be helpful. Um, schedule times for those difficult contemplations. Like, um, you know, I, I've heard I, a couple of marriage therapists say this: like, don't don't just like, if you and your spouse are disagreeing about something, just like two two bowls heading into each other, like discuss it. Just say, hey, you know what? It's not a good time to talk about this right now. I'm not in the right headspace. Can we, you know, maybe at seven o'clock tonight or four o'clock tomorrow afternoon? Like, can we talk about this then? And so you have time to diffuse a little bit. You get those initial impulses and emotions in a better place. Then even if it's something that you're dealing with, like maybe you have a tough conversation you have to have with your boss or an employee or an employer or a friend, you know, don't just charge into it, schedule it. And and then that way you, you have a way to cognitively manage those things instead of just always be reacting to them. Alternately, also schedule that blissful ignorance. Like I said, take breaks, take media breaks, take breaks from different things that, you know, cause you stress. But one of the things that I want to really kind of end with is pulling it all back in toward our goal of physique sport competition, powerlifting, performance sports, dieting for just a life kind of transformation. I have a client right now who's lost 140 pounds and she's still losing. I've got another client who has lost more than 80 pounds and he's still losing. These are clients who may not ever get on a stage or, you know, who knows, maybe they will, but just, you know, for whatever reason you're pursuing aggressive, intentional, purposeful health change, health improvement. make sure you understand that negativity bias will affect that. Even the choice to do it can be steeped in negativity. I'm doing this because I look awful. I'm doing this because my doctor said I'm going to die. My cholesterol is too high. I'm doing this because diabetes runs in our family. That's all restrictive and negative. Or you're doing it because you know you're going to feel great. Or you're doing it because you want to schedule that trip backpacking through Europe. You're doing it because you know it's going to do blank. You know, the positive, you're always going to be drawn toward the negative, but if you reframe things positively, you will have greater success. You will have an incredibly better attitude. You will laugh more. You'll have more fun. That will improve your relationships. I promise you there is nothing in your life that will be worse because you're a happier, more positive person. So that said, let me, let me stop the share here, uh, see who is on board.
1: Um, I'd like to chime in. So about 15 years ago, I was one of the most negative people you would ever meet. And, um, I didn't like that about me. And so, uh, it took a long time to get my crap together and through it, I had, you know, a few more children. I think I only had one at the time. So now I have four, um, and they're growing up and, and you're, this is a very good uh, topic because If you do not put out the positive influence around you, you're going to bring everybody down and it's easier to pull somebody down than to lift them up. And so you just got to keep smiling and find the positive in every negative situation. And it's just going to make you happier. So, um, yeah, I think it's great. Good, good topic.
0: I agree. And I'm one of those people. I'm, I, I, I still struggle. Like I, you know, that negativity bias is strong in me. And uh it's 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 work to to just recognize it and say, man, I you know, there I go again. I need to I need to look at the, the brighter side. So appreciate that. Amanda, you were gonna jump in there as well.
2: Yeah, um, so I was just gonna it's funny that you brought up this talk this topic and kind of like kind of like trailed off from where we left off yesterday about like the sleeping habits. Um And I'm so thankful that I was on that call yesterday because I was actually, you know what? I need to do this. I need to just like an hour before I go to bed, just start like shutting down, winding down. And usually every single night I take a melatonin to help me fall asleep. And I, it made me realize that the reason why I was not winding down is because I'm I have like this constant, like, go, go, go or anxiety of, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? What do I have to do tomorrow? Just something crazy going on in my head. I'm just always on that like next level. And so last night was the first night in a long time that I was able to just go to sleep naturally on my own without taking anything. And it felt great. And so like, just got something as little as that kind of sparked. Something in me to kind of be like, okay, where can I improve that like positivity of just like shutting things down, calming down, take negative things out of the perspective, stop thinking about the things that we can't control? You know, like what can we control? Okay, we can control how we're feeling by just simply letting go of, you know, whatever's on your mind, just let it go. You can't control it. So, um, I, I think that that kind of ha- fits into this category just because it's like putting things into perspective, you know, um, we, we, what do we get to do? Like, don't look at, oh, I gotta go do this. Or, oh, I gotta go this. You get to do those things. Some people might look at things like, I- I don't know, somebody might have an injury, man, I wish I could run, man, I wish I could lift this or do that, but I can't because I'm injured, you know, so you get to do those things. Trying to be more um, optimistic. I I guess that's what I'm trying to get down to nitty gritty is just try to always stay optimistic. It really does help.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, um, Dr. Jennifer Souders, our medical director and I just before this, we recorded a contest prep university feature that will also be released in a day or two. And the topic is post competition pitfalls like that, like you're done with the contest. You, you just put all these months and maybe years into this effort. It's, it's the biggest part of your identity. It's been on your mind 24 seven and now it's over. Like contest is over. I know people who just get into like almost suicidal depression, when that happens, and it could be anything it doesn't have to be a bodybuilding contest, it could be anything a work project, um, you know, it could be um, emptiness syndrome, you just dropped off your last child at college, and you go home and it's like, geez, like 25 years of chaos. And now there's not a single sound in the house. Like, those are the kind of things that create not just a psychological stress, but then you have the biological impact cortisol, cytokines, things like that. And then that makes you psychologically more anxious, which makes the biological processes work and worse. And you just, you can, you can end up like a wreck. And so it really does, as you said, Amanda, just, you have to stop and focus. You have to stop and remember what you're grateful for. And when you feel yourself kind of spinning into a negative space, like, okay, hold on, you know, Everybody else, somebody else has it worse. This is not horrible. First world problem, you know, whatever you're facing, there's, there's always something worse that could be happening. And, and I look around at some of the people, even on this chat that I really admire as people. And Chastity, you're right. You're attracted to positive people. Like if you're a negative person, you're going to repel people. Nobody's going to want to be around you. And so I, when my staff member told me this, maybe 15 years ago, like, Joe, you're just so fucking negative. And like, initially it was a gut punch. It's like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Like, what are you talking about? But then as I thought about it, I'm like, wow, man, like if, if people feel that way around me, I don't want to be that guy. So it's, it's important. And and it does affect everything all the way down to even body fat loss. Uh, Any other, any other thoughts, questions? You guys are, you guys are great. Some good comments. Go ahead, Eleni. the most positive person I know in the world.
1: I think it's funny that you say that because I haven't always been that way, <clears throat> and I think that's kind of what I was going to say was, I'm sorry, I just walked up a hill. Um, it really does take intentionality and um, a focus to work on it, just like you would any other <clears throat> muscle group or discipline that you're you've got um, something that you need to work on. And so, I think for me, it was. I could be very positive to everybody else, but I was the most critical to myself. And it was one of my kids kind of calling me out on it, basically calling me a liar because I would be encouraging them to not say a certain thing about themselves or um, just reinforcing the truth about who they were versus what they were thinking about themselves. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. I mean, and even just this week, um, <clears throat> I sent a video, sent a video to you. And it was interesting because one of my kids said, Mom, look how far you've come. And I didn't even notice because I mean I was a hundred pounds plus, you know, in this picture. And all I could see was I'm not where I want to be. And it was a great reminder of we have to stop and celebrate and honor where we are today and celebrate who we are. But it really takes intentionality. And once we realize For me, the certain words that I say that go, oh, yeah, I'm going about to go down saying really critical things. Or if I'm going to say something about myself that I wouldn't say to my daughter, I probably should check it before I wreck it. Um, And so I think just being very purposeful, you know, for me, it's I've got to get outside. I've got to, you know, do things. But I think another thing Amanda, is really allowing myself because sometimes you just are in a Shit, showing that there's nothing you can do about it. it's not, and so I think what drove me crazy for the longest time was people like, oh, it's not that bad, and so I think I got to the place of going, yeah, it sucks, it's bad, but and then look for something because not everything is that horrible. There's always something good. I think I think Chastity said there's something good somewhere, and so being intentional to look for that and say, yeah, but there's the you know I may not be where I want to be, but I'm not where I was and I'm working. So blah, 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 blah. I'll just say it's really, we, get, we can work on it and we can all be better. And um, yeah, that's all.
0: Perfect. That's amazing. And like I said, if if, uh, if people know where you had come from uh, to, to see that you are happy and work on being happy and affect people positively, it's, it's amazing. We, we all have stuff. We all have stories. You, you guys, you guys don't know 90% of the things I've been through in my life from, you know, just be, being raised in abject poverty to my first daughter dying in my hands to my house burning down and losing everything I own, including wedding pictures and things like that. Like, you know, we all go through some stuff and yet you can look at what you have and say, wow, at least I have this and look like your kids told you, look how far you've come. Um, I'm going to steal this also, for a TED talk, a a cognitive psychologist just used kind of a, a Buddhist proverb, which is if you take care of the minutes, the years take care of themselves. So take care of the minutes, just focus on what's in front of you. Be happy, be positive. You don't have to have the anxiety that's, that's out there in the distance. Uh, any other thoughts or comments, Mike, Kevin, Caesar? anything good to send us off into the weekend? Nope. Everybody's everybody's ready to go.
3: I'm in the wrong class. <laughs> All
0: right. I'm on the wrong plane. I was I wanted to learn about squatting or something. you 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 you're, 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 you're not, are you a would you would you consider yourself a positive person? I know you're an introvert and you're quiet, but do, do you really like just naturally look for the positive? I, I I feel you're that way.
3: Yeah, but I am pretty cynical and you know oh. under my breath.
0: So it's funny you say that uh, the, on my Facebook header, I have something, what's, what's it called? I use that word because I love that. Um, among a coward's weapon, among a coward's weapons, cynicism is the nastiest of all. So, and, and I've heard other phrases about cynicism where it's just lazy. Um, Cause I'm kind of the same way, you know, I'm a sarcastic jerk and uh, again, negativity bias. And so I, I look, I kind of, that's kind of my language. Uh, but in a real sense, outside of just joking, it's like, you really don't want to be that. And I don't think you are. I think you mean it in just a, a sense of humor way.
3: Yeah. Uh Yeah. When it comes down to <laughs> it, it's just more of a facetious remark that I feel everyone yeah. probably says, but, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm that type. Thanks to my parents to always see the perspective shift of things because there's always something worse. And yeah despite my dad always bitching complaining about whatever and me saying the same thing to him it's still nice to just have that minute or two to just whine say it and then move on so sometimes there is certainly okay to do so but don't sulk necessarily on the idea but you know what's the action plan at that point and that's where that's what that's where character is developed or shown
0: i agree and laney laney being positive says you have a good sense of humor. So beat the big nose. I would, uh, I I would disagree as just, just a cynical joke, but, but I won't. I'll let Laney leave that out there. But again, you guys have an amazing weekend. Uh, I think next week is a pretty normal week, no travel or holidays. So we should be on track clients and coaches Monday and Wednesday for you guys, Friday for everybody, for the research review. But have an awesome rest of your Friday and weekend, and I will see you next week when we can. Take care, guys.